beautiful, beautiful Monday. Welcome everyone to another episode of Hotship, the now of leadership, the now of culture, the now of leading, the now of workplace. Hope everyone is doing brilliantly. And I know it is thunderstorms in Northern Virginia. I do not know which part of the world or country you're tuning in from. Please do type in the comments where you're tuning in from and what is your favorite beverage on this muggy, rainy, 97 degree day. I don't know what the temperatures are from whichever space that you are logging in from. But as you can see, I've got an epic, epic guest today. I have Dr. Summer Watson. Welcome to the show, Dr. Summer. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Mila. I am so excited to be here. I just love chatting with you. Oh, oh I, I love speaking with you as well. When we first connected, we, I was like, okay, I have an instant connection with you. You know how sometimes people say love at first sight? Yeah. Like this was love at first sight with the minds and the hearts. Right. So, right. I felt the same way. I did. <laughs> so, Today we're going to be exploring something, but before we go into it, I'm going to tell tell my audience a little bit about what you do okay. um, and who you are. So, Dr. Summer Watson is the founder of Core Women LLC, which is a unique home for the hearts and souls of women. She is a doctor of psychology, coach, podcaster, author, and producer of documentary films. Her goal is to help folks produce a life they love and created core women to help women kinetically connect, organically learn from one another, reshape lives through diverse interaction and energize one another to promote change. <laughs> oh my God, that we need fireworks for that. Yeah, I know. Torn <laughs> <Torn> up, baby. <laughs> so, oh my God, we already have got a, like guessing hi so we have got uh Raj Kumar Pariha if I'm pronouncing your name okay. hi he says hi from LinkedIn so hello hi. welcome to the show and we also have Andrea who's sneaking in for a bit from Twitter welcome Andrea so glad to have all of you join us so Summer yes, <laughs> Mira it's so fitting during summer, I have summer. That's right. That's right. I'm more of a winter, fall kind of person, but my mom decided to name me summer. So, <laughs> so before we do a deep dive, right? In in this session, we like I always invite my guests to to do a deep dive. But today, we, I want to talk about the core of leading, not C O R E, but K O R E of the right. business. But before we start, I want to hear a little bit about your journey. And um, what? why did you start Call Women? I know it was an introduction, but I want to hear your journey. Okay, so I'm going to start way back. So let's, I'm going to take you way back when I was an infant. And so I'm going to be a little circumstantial here just because this is part of that journey. This is part of who I am. And this is part of the development of Core Women. So my mom was a young mom. She got married at 17 to my dad, who was 19. They were in a somewhat tumultuous relationship um, because they had babies early. Um, they were of mixed race. So my dad is Filipino and Mexican and my mom is Armenian and English. So they are right, right there. Way back in the day, the parents kind of con were conflictual about, you know, or conflicted about the, the match. Um, so they already had just the way society was, where they grew up. They already had some some things to deal with. As this couple, um, it was a passion type of relationship. They started having kids early. So they had my brother and I, my brother was the first one and I was the second. Um, so, you know, they're a young couple, like any couple who is that young, they're struggling to get by, then they start having children. And there is a little bit of, uh, no, there is, it's an abusive relationship. So from there, when I was six months old, I ended up going into the hospital. But before that, my mom kept taking me to the doctor. And she said, you know, 
there's something wrong with my baby. There's something wrong. And the doctors just kept sending her away and sending her away and saying, she's got the flu. She's got the stomach flu, whatever. And um, what ended up happening, I went into a coma and she had to rush me to the hospital. And she ended up, um, I ended up going into um, exploratory surgery. And they took me into exploratory surgery and found that I actually had a hole in my small intestine. And so every time they dismissed her, they were actually dismissing her with a baby who was actually very sick. So that led to me being septic, um, having lots of bacteria all over my body, um, having multiple surgeries, being very ill. Um, and again, I was strapped down to, you know, tubes and tied down. So I wouldn't pull the tubes out of myself, heart monitors, monitors, getting fed through the stomach, three, you know, surgeries later. And my mom just was like, you know, what do I do? I'm, I, you know, what else can I do? And the doctor said, there's nothing else we can do at this point. So she just kind of tried to regroup, took a walk outside, came back. And my team of doctors were actually standing around the crib and they were holding hands and they were saying a prayer. And they said, this is really the last thing we can do. And my mom said, I've never seen anything like it. I don't think I'd see anything like it today. And she said, and you started thriving. Granted, you had to have surgeries after that, but you did start thriving. You did start healing. And I say all this because she said, you know, during that time, you were always such a happy baby. You never cried. You never, um, you did exactly what you needed to do. And she said, and that's how you've been all your life. So I feel like I've had throughout my journey, I've had a very, I've had this resiliency, this innate resiliency. Somehow we always learn resiliency in some aspects, but then some of us have this innate resiliency. And I think I was just kind of, I just kind of had it. And so whenever I would come up against difficulties, you know, I always got back up. I always, you know, kind of just looked those challenges in the face and said, you know what, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to, we're going to get through this summer. You know, I'm going to, we're going to work on this. And so I would, and not to say I didn't have challenges because everybody does. Right. But I always seem to get back up. And my grandmother was always amazed. She said, you know what, girl, you always get back up. And I said, that's right. And you keep going. And so I then, um, my mom and dad split up, of course, about the same time that I got out of the hospital at six months and, um, which was probably best for them. And, um, then my mom had us for a couple of years and then both my mom and dad were like, you know what, we can't raise kids. So they ended up leaving us with our grandparents and for a few years, then I went with my dad and then thank God I was raised by my mother from about 10 years old up until 18. And she was a wonderful woman, um, very strong in the sense that she raised me very differently than she was raised. She um, helped provide or build my foundation, helped me build my foundation of strength and courage she said I could do whatever I wanted and whatever I set my mind to do. And I was the first kid in my family and, um, you know, between my grandparents, paternal and maternal grandparents, um, my mom, dad to go to college and to graduate. And so um, they may have been to a couple of years of junior college, but really my um, I was the only one to graduate. Um, I went to Berkeley, got my degree. I had to work um, through that. I got grants and scholarships. I worked 30 hours a week, took 17 units a semester. I was sorority president. I had to find a niche to fit into because that school was so large that um, I explored where I would go, what I would do. And my sorority was very diverse. And so that gave me a landing spot, you know, somewhere to feel at home. And I met some amazing women. I learned how to do be a philanthropist through that action, um, which was really important to me. Um, that just grew in my world, in, in my scope of things, because I think that doing philanthropy, helping others, helping community is so important. And so I then ended up graduating and, um, was, you know, it was challenging. It was challenging to get through that school. And I did. And of course, you know, they talk about um, imposter syndrome today. And we didn't have a name for it back then. But I always thought, oh, when I first stepped onto that campus, like, do I belong here? Where do I fit in? And I think that, you know, I recently talked to another coach and she said, you know, it's really interesting because what if we change that what if we change that dialogue to we fit in here 
this is our place to be. And so as the story goes on, I end up going to law school and then kind of for a short term and then deciding that's not really, I got in, I went back East, got accepted from being a West Coast girl raised in California and Northern California on the coast in a small beach town. And I went back East and I want to try my hand at law school. And I did. And then I just figured this is not for me. And there were different challenges. But I think what got me most was that it was so competitive. And that's great. I'm a competitive person, but I'm not the type of person to attack other people. So when I would say something like, oh, my gosh, you, you've got a good, great grade to somebody else, somebody, one of my classmates would say, well, why are you saying that? You know, we're in competition with these people. And I'm like, that's just who I am. And I think what I had to look at is, is that who I am? Is this who I want to be? And that's not what I wanted to be. I wanted to retain who I was and feel okay about that. And so I did a U-turn, went back home. I ended up getting married and um, to my high school sweetheart. And from there, I uh, he joined the Marine Corps. We traveled for 20 years. We lived out of the country. And during that time, I got a master's in human services. I worked in nonprofit. I worked for in for-profit as a contractor, you go and you do what you can, especially being a military spouse, you become an expert at getting jobs because you've got to move every three years. So you become an expert resume maker, you become an expert at getting jobs, at um, interviewing. So I ended up working in hospitals, um, got my master's, had some great mentors, female mentors, so those women were amazing. Um, and then from there, I ended up working in a, the largest lock facility in the state of California, mental health facility for three years. And I loved it. And I was able to kind of finesse my clinical skills by doing that and understand what it means to work for local government, understand human behavior better. And so I did that for three years. And then we moved out of the country and we moved to Okinawa, Japan. And while we were there, my husband went to war for a year and I was there on my own. I didn't have kids. And prior to going to Okinawa, um, I had another surgery because as I grew, I always had surgeries. So I had surgeries at six. I had surgeries at 13. I had surgeries at, you know, 20 something. Then again at 30 because of the adhesions from that very first surgery. So it was, it's never been a life without those surgeries. Let me tell you that, you know, so I've, uh, but I've always worked through that. And so, and right before I went to Okinawa, I also um, achieved my doctorate. So while doing that, um, like I said, my husband went to war and then, um, and then I was alone and I had other women around me. And that's where I started to notice that throughout my life, I've had these core group of women, right? And those core group of women helped me and I helped them and we've lifted each other up. And so from there, we came back to the States after our three year tour and to make a longer story, a little shorter, my husband went, um, finally retired. And during that time when he retired in, in DC and I was able to kind of take a glance back and say, huh, this isn't exactly the way I planned it. Things kind of changed for me. Right. And because I always wanted to be that that professional woman who had tenure somewhere and stayed at a job. And that wasn't going to happen with a military lifestyle. So um, so my plans changed a little bit. But when he retired, I was able to look back and go, hmm, what is it? Or look at myself and say, what is it that I wanted to do, want to do now? And that's what leads to core women. And so I took a little break. I went back to California from D.C. and and spent some time with some really close girlfriends and, and just hung out. And we went to dinners and we did this and did that. But when I watched the women, and it was just like four of us, but when I watched them engage like in the living room, talking, laughing, playing games, I thought, that's it. That's it. That's what I want to create. I want to create a home for the hearts and souls of women. I want to create something where they can fill each other's soul, where they can lift each other up, that they can connect. Um, the energy can connect. Um, they can connect personally, professionally, and I want to give them that space. I want to give women that space. So in the last two years, I've created a podcast for me to connect with other women around the world. 
I've created seminars where I brought women together where they can connect and learn from one another. I have written a book about values and beliefs um, to offer to not just women, to men and women. I um, have done three empowerment films, one in New York, one in Tennessee, Nashville, Tennessee, and one in LA to bring women together to talk about their journeys. And um, yeah, and so I'm still growing and I'm coaching. So there I am, there it is. Oh my God, this is quite a phenomenal journey, right? Uh, it is, it is packed. Oh my God, it is power packed. So I want to touch on a little, not a little, oh my God, I want to touch on a lot of things that I've been taking notes as you were, as you were walking through your journey. So you mentioned a lot of things, but, yes. but the common denominator in every part of your journey is you had a really strong support system and that support system came in the form of mentors, sponsors, and they were all women. Yeah. Right. True. And, and, but what really stood out to me when you first mentioned that your mom who had a sick baby she kept on getting dismissed yes right yes. and i wanted i want to talk a little bit about dismissing women because it happens yes. in our society yes at home in schools in the workplace in different parts in different communities of practices right? yes women get dismissed right like for example, you just said your mom was getting dismissed. And yeah. in the case, women get dismissed if they go to HR or with someone with a problem. Or And it becomes even more worse if a woman is a person of color. Right. Right. And let's dig a little bit deeper about, because you do such amazing work with core women and bringing women together. How do we tell other women to combat that dismissive behavior imposed by others onto us. What are some things can they do? And that's a good question. And I'm gonna take it just from a personal perspective because I think being of mixed race, I, I was always, you know, that was, that was very difficult in some circumstances for me. So for instance, when I went to grammar school, um, what grade was that? I think I was in fifth, my, no, fourth, fifth, fifth, um, partway through my fifth grade, we went to a school um, and I was being raised by my mom at the time that was predominantly Hispanic. And even at that time, um, because we come from a mixed race, I wasn't accepted. We weren't embraced by Hispanic kids and we were chased. Well, my brother was chased around the, the schoolyard during recess um, I was a little tougher and I was going to stand my ground. And if somebody bullied me, I was going to just, I wasn't going to have it. So I absolutely did not allow for that to happen to me. My poor brother who was older would run around. Um, and, and it was sad. He would run around the, the campus and be chased during the, uh, recess. And when my mom would come and pick us up, the kids would flip us off. They would yell at us. And my mom was like, you know what? I got to, I got to take these kids out of the school. So then we ended up going to a private school and, um, there we were called names. Um, we were, um, derogatory names because of the color of our skin. Um, and so what I did at that time is part of being an overachiever. I thought I'm gonna, I'm gonna educate these people. I'm going to educate them. I'm going to tell them. I'm going to show them who I am. And, and I did strive for that. And what ended up happening is I did really well at the school. I was president of the school. I got elected as president. Um, so I, I didn't, you know, there were certain standing uh, situations where I would definitely stand my ground. And, but at the same time, I was always of the mindset that I'm going to educate so when I would be asked later on in life, what are you, who are you, where do you come from, those kinds of questions, it would be an opportunity to educate. Or oh, where are you really from? Right. And I know you've probably gotten that question as well, right? Oh, so I got so many times. <laughs> where are you really from? Now, where is your mom from? It's, it's like, 
Exactly. But I do understand where, what you mean by, you know, you experiencing the derogatory terms and uh, not being accepted, right? And yeah, we weren't. So it was always trying to find a group to fit into. And, and we as human beings want to fit in. It's just natural. We are, you know, some people might say, you know, I, I'm asocial, not antisocial, but asocial. I like to be alone. I like to do. But under most circumstances, we are pack animals. We like to be around other folks. We get nurturing from that, both physically and emotionally. That is who we are as people, as human beings. That is why right now it is somewhat difficult for so many because it's difficult to be away from other humans. So we want to fit in somewhere. Yes, we want to be independent. Yes, we want to be different. I understand that, but we also have this, this tendency to want to fit in. And so, yes, I wanted to fit in, but I also knew that I was different and I was going to have to make a, a, make a place for myself. Even going to Berkeley, the education wasn't so much in the class, it was a social education. And what I mean by that is people think that Berkeley, University of California, Berkeley is very liberal, which it is. But I had friends who were black and of all different races. And, and let me explain something to you. And I mentioned this only because when my best friend and I were together and we'd hang out and we just loved being with each other, um, some of her friends didn't accept me and didn't want her to hang out with me. And we'd have these conversations like, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to be? How are we supposed to integrate? What am I supposed to do with you, Summer, essentially, to bring you into this group, you know? And, and I thought, you know what? Just, just give it time. Just let these folks get to know me. We'll just gradually. And these are the conversations we had when we were very young. And this is the first time away from home. This is still, you know, just trying to integrate into a community and still find our place with people of all different backgrounds of all different colors. And so we still, I still had challenges there. And yet I was able to integrate. I found ways, but it also came with patience. It came with understanding, them understanding me as much as I understood them, being able to listen to one another. So these are the things and the tips that I would give to folks. Be ready to listen, be a reflective listener. I know many times we want to like pounce or jump because it's offensive or because it's because it's hurtful or because but be ready to listen because I think that once those walls are down and we can embrace other people regardless of you know of what they're saying, what they're doing, maybe we can get them past that. Maybe I can be that one person that changes their mind about A, B, or C that makes that sends them back out into the world that person that looks like me is fine. It's like, you know, they can, they function well, they're doing well, that it's like these preconceived notions that people have. And sometimes we have to integrate and communicate and educate. And I think we need patience to do that. Beautifully said. I want to touch on something that you mentioned, right? The accept, acceptance part. Even, even in UCLA, it's a very liberal university. And yet the there was exclusive inclusion over that. Yes. Right. And and the current climate is very similar because you know the BLM has definitely catalyzed the awareness of racial inequity at the workplace. Right. And has brought visibility to so many inequities being present in our environment. Mm -hmm. And to your point, right, to a point of not being accepted and wanting to fit in. Let's talk about exclusive inclusion, right? And there are so many spaces where people say, oh, this is inclusive, I'm inclusive. This is a place of belonging, this is a place of inclusion. Right. Uh, but they are so exclusive about it. They're so right. exclusive about, oh, and that boils down to the fit, right? You have right. to fit in here, you have to do this, you have to be exactly the exact mold of a gingerbread cookie. Right. Right. And that that kind of like eliminates diversity. And I want to talk a little bit about, you know, you lived in different parts of the world and and I can I can relate to that. Right. Yeah. Right. I can relate to that. And 
living in different parts of the world and di- and having those diverse experiences, right? right? Coming back to the United States, people think they do not know how to digest all of that because diversity in their mind is just, oh, um, we meet X number of women, X number of colored people. Right. Again, explore diversity of thoughts, diversity of experiences, diversity right. of like to your point when you mentioned about you learned about the social aspect of human behavior while right. interacting, not not by you know sitting in a classroom, but by right. interacting. Right. And another point that you brought up about the sorority um, group. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about that because a lot of people when they live if someone is part of a sorority, right, feel that oh they are not really equipped with experience or equipped with real life uh, experience right, right. but being in a sorority gives you a lot of exposure being in a sorority teaches you about leadership teaches you about team um, right. being a team player i'm not talking about the team player at the workspace where they say oh you have to be a team player if you work till 7 p.m 8 p.m bring the lunch that kind of bs team player so right. i want to hear a little bit about how being in a sorority helps you to become a better leader as a good Okay, great question. And thank you for that because I think that sometimes, you know, if you say the word sorority of fraternity, all of a sudden there's like, oh, she was part of that uh, exclusive group or part of that group that, um, you know, what do you call it? Um, it's more of a pretentious type of group. And it's, 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 I chose a sorority that was really diverse. So funny thing, the sorority was a nationally Jewish sorority. I'm not Jewish yet. The house was such a mixed house. We had people from all different backgrounds, all different races. And that's what I really liked about it prior to, and what happened was prior to um, the Vietnam war, it was predominantly a Jewish home, a Jewish sorority. Post-Vietnam War, Berkeley became more diverse, and that means that the sororities on campus became more diverse. Some of them did. And so when I was looking around and I started pledging these, or started uh, going to um, these different events, sorority events, I did my rounds, I looked at all the sororities, and I chose the one that I thought was diverse, that aligned with my values at the time that, um, that had people who were different, but of like, of like minds as well, which I liked, I liked that diversity. So in relation to backgrounds, relation to color, in relation to so many different things. And, and mind you, I had to work. So I knew that I had to work to pay my dues. I had to work to be in that sorority. Um, I paid for my college. I paid via grants, scholarships, and and working. So I worked 30 hours a week, took 17 units a semester. And you know what? I worked through that sorority. I paid my dues. I paid for my parking space. Um, I became sorority president too. So that taught me leadership skills because I did want to, I did want to learn more about being a leader and being a president of a an organization. And so I did. I was, and we were, we did all kinds of things and we did all kinds of philanthropic things. So we went out into community, we raised money, we gave back to the community. We did things that you wouldn't necessarily think about in in regards to a sorority and what they do as leaders. And so they are trying to be leaders in the community. It does show you how to run an organization. There is politics involved. So you're getting politics from, you know, national, you're getting the politics from, you know, just at the local level of being in a sorority, being as in a sorority at a school like Berkeley, because again, just because there were all these different fraternities and sororities, it didn't mean that a certain construct of that, of that university thought highly of those sororities or fraternities either. So you were always fighting against something, right? Or trying to, trying to work within a system multiple systems actually and make them all come together and work together so i'm talking about national i'm talking about the community i'm talking about the community based on the university because we are a we are a sorority and fraternity system is in set in a community so it is set in the community of berkeley and so 
you have to make sure that when you do things, you know, you're not upsetting the construct of the general population or the community that you live in. So there's all that. And then there's presents. And, and I mean, there is a rush. And during rush, you've got to do certain things. And you've got to make sure that the house is, you know, up to par and that you're following certain rules and regulations. So there's all these things that, that you learn as a, a young person to be a leader. So beautifully said. And something really stuck with me when you mentioned about being in a sorority, right? You're talking about leadership and you had to work with cross-functional teams. I'm going to call them cross-functional teams. Sure. Humanities. And you have had to work with even teams within a university, right? Because when yeah. I was, I used to be the vice president of student government when I went back to university in Wisconsin. Right. And being the vice president of student government, it's not like, oh, I'm in a club. Right. No, it's a lot of responsibility. Yes. And I saw, I had, to, because I was the ally, I was the sponsor for a lot of student organizations. I had to hear them out. I had to hear them out why the director of student center wanted to shut them down. Yes. Right. Right. And politics, you mentioned about politics, and that's oh, yeah. such an important leadership quality that, right. that people gain, and it's transferable. Right, right. right. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. There were incidents, <laughs> and, and, I, and I'm not going to divulge here, but there were incidents that we really had to fight against just being in that sorority and pledging certain people, and mm -hmm. it was like I wasn't going to have the pushback that we are getting regarding um, pledging certain folks. And I was like, this is absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And this is this, if this goes any further, it's reportable information. So, um, so yeah, even being young, we were learning during that whole process too of discrimination. We were looking, learning about, you know, diversity. We are learning about how to push back. We are learning about the constructs that were available to us that we could tap into that would offer maybe some support that we, if we were being challenged because of the, the leadership or the management, so to speak, you know, so it's, we were dealing with it then. And that was in, in the contracts that we, the constructs that we decided to put ourselves in, right? So that was the construct that I decided to put myself in, which was a sorority. And so when I talk about politics, there were politics within that organization, within construct of having a, a fraternal and sorority um, presence on that campus in community and at that school. So, um, so yeah, there was a lot we had to juggle with that. So not only was I going to school, but I chose to put myself into a construct that I would challenge myself to be a leader and have to confront certain things. And, and how would I deal with that? Because again, I was a youngster and I was just learning and I had never been in that situation before, but yet um, I learned, you know, I learned what to do. Beautiful. So I want to explore solutions now. Sure. <laughs> um, Cause you mentioned that, you know, there was diversity even within all of the experiences, right? Yeah. And, and a lot of people think when they approach the whole team, the framework of leadership, mm -hmm. people think that leadership is very singular, right? Leadership looks like someone, speaks like someone, must have experience like someone, must, must design like someone, but that's not leadership, right? right. Leadership looks so nuanced, it looks like everyone else and someone whom you would not even think about. And that's the beauty of diversity. Right. So from your large diverse experience, right? And and in the spirit of diversity right now, diversity is popping up like a tsunami right now. <laughs> it is. It is. So in the spirit of diversity, I want to hear what kind of solutions, right, as allies, as sponsors, as women, right? We have to lift, lift each other up. What are some things that we can do as core, as the core of, of leadership? I want to hear your some solutions that women can take. Okay. 
And great, another great question, beautifully put. Um, and I, thank you so much for asking these wonderful questions because I think they're so pertinent to not just what's going on today, but what happened yesterday and the days before that, because this is history, you know? And here we are as women, as diverse women, as, uh, as people of, of, of diverse backgrounds, um, we're having to confront some serious business today. And we did as well in the past, and we can't forget about that. But what we, what we do is we want to move forward. And I think the first way we do that is really becoming clear within ourselves what you're fighting for, who you are, what your own values and principles are. Because you might be out there saying, oh, I'm fighting for inclusion, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And I'm not trying to minimize what you're doing, but what I am saying is first get very clear about what your own values and beliefs are. Because if those, that's your platform for, that's your launching pad. That's where all the work takes place is first understanding who you are and understanding your own personal values and beliefs. That's why I wrote this book. I know. And I'm going to show it to you because it says, F yeah, get real with strong language because we take the whole idea here of strong language and we pose it against your own personal values and beliefs. Your personal and values and beliefs are, are such that they're not principles. Principles are, are objective realities. So those are, and rules. So they're often, often permanent. Like love is love. Hate is hate, right? So those are permanent. But what your values and beliefs are, are really something internal, something subjective. So those are things that you're learned. They're learned through your parents, your clergy, your educators, your friends. Those are things that you learn. And many times, many times, and this comes to what your question, I'm going to answer your question regarding solutions, but I think it starts with the human being. It starts first within us and you've got to get clear what your values and beliefs are. And so take a, a deep dive into what are your values and beliefs, because those are going to be what guides you in your life. And so if you were taught by your parents, by your clergy, by your educators, by your friends, that you should believe A, B, and C, but yet you're not walking that walk or talking that talk, and that's not an alignment then those really aren't your values and beliefs. So get clear with that first and foremost, because that in itself is going to be your launching pad. And this book actually gives you strategy as to how to do that in the back of the book. I'm not selling this book. What I am saying is get clear with your own values and beliefs, because that again is going to be your launching pad for what you do out in the world, who you meet, how you get along with folks, how you, you know, who you choose as a partner, if you choose a partner at all, but these your values and beliefs are really important and critical to that because when you get a job and somebody asks you and you're sitting at the table, do you understand what our mission statement is? Do you know what our guiding principles are at this job? What are you going to say if they don't jive with your, your, your values and beliefs? Do you think there's going to be sustainability at that job? Most likely not. So that's why I'm saying first get clear about what your values and beliefs are, because once you go out into the world and you have a better understanding of what that is, you're going to have a clearer understanding of where you're going, what you're trying to do, what your goals are. And so when you're trying to make movement in the world, that's really, really going to be the driving force. That's what's going to help you. And I think that number one is going to be part of your solution, getting a better idea of who you are and how you move through the world. And how do you want to move through the world? So the other thing is getting clear about how do you want to move through the world? What are, what are your strategies in moving through the world? Do you have strategy? Do you know your own goals? Well, sit down and figure it out. Because if you're all over the place, it's kind of like this, Mila. I'm all for the, the women's movement and the Me Too movement. I'm totally for it. However, the marches... I have something to say about that. I love that people are out there marching. I love that they're getting their, their point across. I'm all for it. Like, I'm in support of it. But what happens after the march? What happens after? Where's the action? People talk about dreams. They talk about dream boards. Uh-uh. I talk about a reality board. I talk about reality-based things. And that means that if we have dreams, if we have goals, put action behind that. I don't want to see a movement drop because 
there's no continued action. There's no continuity in regards to our actions. So create action. Next step is understand who you are, start you know, creating your goals, and then create action behind those goals. So what are your objectives to reaching those goals? What are your objectives to you know, inclusion? What are your objectives in, uh, is in relation to you know, bringing people together and having them understand one another? What, is your, what are your objectives and how are you going to be able to contribute as a human being understanding your own values and bringing those values into play with that action? So those are some of the suggestions I have in relation to solutions, getting to a solution. Because each person has their own journey, has their own way of approaching a situation. So I can't tell you specifically how to solve a problem because everybody has their own means and ways of doing that. Beautifully shot again. <laughs> and, you know, I, and I can go on and on and it kind of taps back into core, right? Right. So the reason I created core, the, the word core rather than C-O-R-E, but I wanted it to be K-O-R-E because it stands for something. It's an acronym. It means how you kinetically connect with people, how you connect with yourself. How do you move through the world? Kinetics is moving. It's energy. So right. how do you move through the world? How are you connecting with people? I love that you use the word energy, right? right. I, I, this is going to sound so woo-woo, because, but I've been, I meditate quite a bit. And as I was meditating, I bumped into the, the video, YouTube video of how you can manifest your thoughts. You can change your thoughts. I believe in all of that because every cell in our body is actually vibrating at a higher energy level. Right. So it's it's without without the positive energy, right? Right. Like, back to your point when you mentioned about if you can't change yourself in here, right? You can't change yourself outwardly. Well, right. Your right you can you can have your master's degree you can have a title vp of human resources vp of diversity and inclusion but if you're not willing to do the work inside of being inclusive of including other people of truly accepting right accepting right. the keyword right here right even before inclusion and belonging if you can't accept yourself and accept others for whom they are right then the action item falls to your point of the the was, was it the me too movement right 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 and there has to be an awareness first an awareness of who you are and how you're moving through the world awareness of your own personal values and beliefs have an awareness and then work on that because as i said going back to kinetic you know the idea of kinetic the kinetics it's your energy it's how you're moving through the world it's being aware of your energy right what are you putting out into the world in regards to your own personal energy? Then it's also about organically learning. How do we come together to organically learn? So in relation to curiosity, in relation to concepts, in relation to problems, problems, how are we organically learning about those things as human beings, as individuals, as groups, right? And then how do we develop through that methodology or strategy? So that's the organic learning part. And then the R is, of course, you know, and this is all the construct for, you know, solutions and goals and strategy is reshaping our lives through diverse interaction, being a familiar and aware of what is the diversity in your life? Because what do you consider diverse in your life and outside of you? What is the diverse groups that you're with? How are you inclusive of diverse groups or the purple people that are, are different than you? Are you really that, you know, um, diverse? So think about the whole concept of diversity and how embracing you are in relation to being a diverse individual. Do you embrace other people that are different? Yeah. And, um, and how do you energize others to support change? So are you out there in the world lifting other people up? 
Are you pulling them up from the ground? Are you, you know, giving them a boost? Are you, what are you doing? Are you mentoring? Are you interning? Are you taking on interns? What are you doing to give back to community? And that's something that I learned early on when I was going through my master's program. I had two of the best mentors, uh, females, um, one who taught me about program development, management, community-based um, development, and county-wide um, constructs and uh, um, programs that I could, you know, build. And then the other um, was a mentor who taught me about how to coach, how to counsel, how to how to do clinical the aspects of clinical work. And I I look back at that and I think I am so fortunate to have had those mentors. And you know what I do now as a business owner? I go to universities and guess what I do? I work with interns because it allows them to not be quite so um, green or so inexperienced after they get their degrees. They can apply practical things to doing a job. You have something to offer. You have something. And even if what you have to offer is support, brilliant. Do it. Because those kids need it. You know, those kids going to college, they need support. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, just figure out a way to give back to community because giving back really feels great. I love that you mentioned about mentorship. I love everything that you mentioned about being kinetic, right? And yeah. energy. Thank you. I, you're welcome. I love, I even love your love because you mentioned lift. You, how are you lifting someone up, right? How how are you walking through someone through change, lifting someone up through change? And that is what people are yearning for. They want to change. They want a positive change. Right. People want to become leaders, especially women want to become leaders. Women want to progress in their life. When I say in their life, what is, is included in it, right? And before we go, I know we are running out of time. What is one tip you'd give to women who are wanting to be leaders that they absolutely must take or can become to someone else? That they can what? I'm sorry, you were breaking up. Can become to someone else. Okay, so my what I would suggest is a couple of things. And I go back to, and I'm going to continue to go back to this, do some deep discovery of yourself. Go back to understanding your own personal beliefs and values. If you haven't figured it out, start working on that. Start taking a deep dive and looking at who you are, what your beliefs are, how you're living your life, number one. Number two, I would say go find a mentor. Go reach out to people. Ask them. All they can do is say no. And interview those people. Take time to interview them. Get your questions ready. Line those questions up and interview people. What I did, and I'll be quick about this, but prior to starting Core Women, I did a survey. I did a survey asking women, do you do you feel like, have, do you have a mentor in your workplace or at school? And about 40 plus percent of those women who answered said no. Then I said, do you feel embraced by other women in community socially? And about 42% said no. And I was like, wait a second. We can do better than this as women. We can do so much better than this. So be one of those women. If you're out there with a business, if you're out there, you know, in a management position, in a directorship position, mentor other women. Bring them up. Because, you know, one of these newscasters that I was listening to one day um, at a seminar, she said, you know, my mom said, why are you mentoring somebody? Why are you, you know, doing that? They're going to take your job. And she said, mom, because eventually somebody's going to take my job. But you know what? Here's the difference. We all do. We'll do this job differently. We'll bring something different into the job. And I want them to bring, be ready. And I want them to be different in the way that they perform the job. It doesn't mean that they're going to be any less. It doesn't mean that they're going to take my job. It means that I'm preparing them for the world, preparing them, or at least offering them something where they can bring their own essence into it. So just help other folks, help other folks out there, you know, be that mentor, be that support. Wow. Another beautiful, beautiful piece. Uh, I absolutely love it. 
and and that breaks the scarcity mindset but it's it, it was such a pleasure having you i knew that time passed by so quickly I know. it always does and i love hanging out with you <laughs> yes oh my god same right and i always love doing this live sessions um you know and oh we have got someone who says hi oh hey viviana Thank so, you for joining yes, us. Viviana. Viviana is a best-selling author. She's joined us today. Thank you for joining us, Viviana. Oh, thank you for joining us. And I know we are out of time, but I, I will be having Summer back again on I either on a Friday show or a Monday show. We have to do part two. But <laughs> thank you everyone for joining in. Remember hardship. The now of leadership, the now of culture, the now of leading, the now of diversity, the now of us is actually leading from the heart, leading with empathy, compassion, love and kindness. We will truly understand how people want to be accepted when we practice all of these from the heart, thus creating an evolving culture that integrates diversity. Thank you again summer for being here and you're doing phenomenal work supporting women and lifting women up uh, i i want to speak with you more i'm going to have you back again if, if you're listening right now please follow summer on linkedin she's uh, summer watson on linkedin on twitter she's core women one <laughs> twitter core women one and then um Instagram and Facebook is Core Women, and I also offer coaching. So thank you, Mila, for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. The pleasure is mine. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Give this a thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube, if you're watching on Facebook or Twitter. Give it a thumbs up, retweet it, reshare this, because we are on a mission. Yes. And the mission is whatever our mission is, it's right it's diverse but the common denominator is we're trying to help and lift each other up thank you again for coming on board on hardship the now of leadership the now of leading the now of workplace the now of diversity mm -hmm. till next week see you all <laughs>